You are listening to episode 61 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, today's Christmas Day and uh, I'm just feeling really glum. <laughs> Why? Why is that? Well, you know, I hung up my stockings by the chimney with care and hoping that St. Isaac would soon be here. <laughs> but I don't see St. Isaac. I do. Huh? <laughs> Isaac, is that you? It's it's me. I'm here. Saint <laughs> Isaac Claus. <laughs> here I am. Go ahead, Isaac. I I thought that this was a very roundabout way of of asking me if I'm Jewish because I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like waiting for it to be like uh, it's hot because you're uh, busy at Hanukkah because I was. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a long walk for a short drink of water. Hey guys, thank you for having me on. This is fun. This is exciting. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Okay, we'll see you later. <laughs> uh, so we have a very very special guest today with us on our Christmas episode. Uh, Isaac Goodhart, artist on Postal, a fantastic series. Thank you so much for joining us, Isaac. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, uh, Isaac is. An artist that each of us has encountered at various points at different cons. Uh, so it's it's awesome to finally have you here with us on the show. Um, and uh, we're just going to do our normal thing. And hopefully you enjoy the ride. Yeah, sure. Cool. So um, first of all, I just want to start off by saying that I personally am a big fan of Postal. Uh, you probably don't remember this, but uh, a few years ago, I was working at the convention, New York Comic Con, and I met you, and you signed my Postal graphic novel. Uh, and it was really, really cool that you did that, and we talked for a little bit. And ever since then, I've been hooked on the series. So thank you. for Really that. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for stopping by. I hope I wasn't a jerk when we were talking <laughs> at New York Comic Con. The complete opposite. So uh, I wanted to start by asking you, what appealed to you about Postal on the offset? So when you were brought on to work on the series, what were some of the things that made you want to be involved with Postal? Okay, so that's a very interesting question, and I, th- my answer might be a little bit disappointing for you, but um, but I'll, I'll answer very honestly. Noth- nothing. I'm not that kind of artist. I what appealed to me was being a working artist in comics. I mean, I'm at the level. And I'm a little bit more established now than I was when I first started Postal, but I will work on anything that is offered to me. And that's anybody on my level of being where I am in my career. You just kind of get and do whatever is offered to you. And you're happy to do it. And I'm so excited to be working. I mean, it could have been a comic about grasshoppers playing chess or something. And I would have been like, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I want to work. I mean, before this, my com- the, the uh, only other comic I did was a Shark Week comic uh, about shark migration patterns. It was an educational comic. Guys, I am not bullshit i killed it i i was i worked so hard on it i wonder if i have it here i worked so hard on it because i just wanted to be working in the comics industry you know and so like i'm not like a like a you know dark shadows drama murder mystery story guy when i was in school when i was reading comics i grew up on ultimate spider-man runaways 
Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know what else. Um, but, you know, that kind of like young adult Teen Titans was a big one. And so Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, that's, those are the comics that I thought I was going to graduate school and start drawing. And then uh, actually what had happened was I graduated school and worked at a candy store for a couple of years and was just like trying so hard to get people to look at my portfolio and nobody was biting. Uh, but I was entering all these contests and, and I won a top cow talent hunt. And one of the books that they offered me to draw was postal. And they said, is this something that you would be interested in? And it was that or candy store. So to answer your question is what was more appealing than working at a candy store still, you know, (laughs) um, that's a very satisfying answer. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, that being said, once I started it, once I started it, the, the hallmark of what really made the book appealing to me, it made me a true genuine fan and very, very proud of the work that we've, done on Postal is Brian Hill, my writer. For, for anybody who doesn't know, Brian Hill is the writer on Postal. And I've worked with him from issues one to 25. Matt Hawkins, the creator of Postal, was the co-writer for the first arc. Um, and Brian, Brian Hill is a TV and movie guy. And he works on Ash vs. Evil Dead right now, Teen Titans, the TV show that's coming out. And his claim to fame is that he's the best dialogue characterization guy in the entire business. And that's by a wide margin. I mean, and like I said, I grew up on Ultimate Spider-Man. And Brian Michael Bendis, uh, who was for years and years my favorite writer uh, of all time, his whole thing was characterization and decompressed storytelling. And, and he was the first guy to like really put in like besides the point jokes, you know, like you got Spider-Man like trying to fight a bad guy, but then he's like making a joke about whatever he saw on TV last night, you know, on the side or something like that, you know? And so, and so like that stuff was really big on me. And so Brian Hill comes in and he is just as good, if not better, at all of those things I love about Bendis, uh, characterization, dialogue. Uh, I mean, you read, you read Postal, and, you know, you guys will check me on this, but it's a fairly straightforward book. It's a, it's a mailman who solves crimes, you know? But, but the real magic of it is the fact that is his relationship with Maggie and his mother and the tensions between all those three characters and the, the love triangle when, when Molly comes into town. I mean, this is good stuff. This is uniquely uh, Brian Hill dialogue and characterization. So that's what I fell in love with is I love all these characters, like the real people. And that's, uh, what I love. Anyway, this is my uh, this is my Shark Week comic. Can you see this? Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> this is the first. This is incredible. This is the first uh, printed comic book. So- and I like. I tried so hard. This is a, look at that thermometer. This is a comic about <laughs> look at that thermometer. Look at this framing device of the fish, oh the school gosh. fish going around, and that map. Damn, man! You know, like I tried so. I wanted to impress them so bad. I spent so much time on these rocks. You know, like and also like they gave me literally the the most boring story in the entire anthology. It was like six six pages of when it gets too cold, the sharks, they swim here. I mean, that's all the comic was, <laughs> but I was just so excited to be working in the comics industry that I was like, yeah, and I'm going to kill it, you know? And so like, uh, postal was a tremendous step up, obviously, you know? And, uh, and I fell in love with postal. I'm very, very lucky that I fell in love 
I got paired up with a, such a great writer and I was able to uh, really, um, you know, grow with the, with the story. Uh, and I, and I think, I think that it shows in the book. I think that everything about it has improved from issue one to now. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. So congratulations on the success of Postal. Sean, thank you. Thank you very much. That is very, very nice to hear. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I was able, I think both of us, Brian too, have both just like really cut our teeth on this, which is essentially like our first big story in the comics industry. And it was a really great way to like, not just work out the kinks of collaboration and see how comics work, but to really just hone our skills. And I'm, I am a lot better. If you look at the, the current issue or issue 25 compared to issue one, I mean, it's like, it's basically two different artists. So it's very nice to hear. Um, and I hope that it shows that I'm really enjoying and very passionate and, uh, and dedicated to the story. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what are, what are some of the, the themes of Postal? So like for, for those who are uninitiated, right? For those who've never checked out Postal before, talk to us a little bit about the themes of Postal. You, you described it as a mailman who solves crimes, but you and I both know that Postal is so much more than that. Talk to us a little bit about what Postal really is. Um, Postal. Well, well, the pitch that I give to people at comic conventions when they're walking by, and I'm sure all you guys have heard me say this at some point, is that it's a town full of criminals where everybody's a suspect of every crime. And um, Mark is the only person that can solve these, these mysteries. Um, and that is the most basic pitch of what it is. Um, what Postal is really about to me is how all these people with their, with their checkered past interact and can you find redemption in a town full of criminals? Uh, are, are you deserving of forgiveness and sympathy? And you, violence begets more violence. That's a big theme. And um, as we push these, these themes and it gets more and more violent and the world gets more and more violent. It's, it's become a very, uh, interesting title. I remember there was this one time we we're working on the neo-Nazi story arc, which is our fourth story arc in postal. And there's a, there's a former neo-Nazi who, uh, who is trying to redeem himself and be a better person again in this town full of criminals. And, there's a lot of violence in the story. I remember calling Brian, uh, my writer, I remember calling him because I felt so uncomfortable drawing people shooting each other. This was during the Dallas shooting a couple of years ago. And what Brian said, which was just so, so interesting, and it really stuck with me and pushed me through the rest of the rest of the series is... Um, we're not glorifying, glorifying violence. We're, we're showing that violence begets more violence and you have to show it and you have to show it realistically and brutally so that you confront the reader with the consequences of this violence. So in other words, none of these characters are getting away with anything. Everybody has their, their punishment and their comeuppance. Uh, and so that's been the big theme of Postal is, um, you know, violence, redemption uh and control and the other the other big theme which is really important to me and i i hope that it shows through is um 
Laura is the mayor of the town, and the tighter she squeezes on this town, the, the less she's able to control it. Uh, the town kind of squeezes through her fingers. And, um, you know, these are very, these are very big, important themes. And, uh, you know, I, there's been, a, there's been a lot of times where Postal has reflected the real world. Um, and sometimes it's just been a crazy coincidence. But it's another thing that I've become very proud of as we've gone forward. I just had a question about like, so the series is ending. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what does it feel to be sort of sunsetting it on such a like on such a high? You know, it, it is bittersweet. It is one of those things where I feel like uh, if the circumstances were different, that I could be I could be on postal forever. You know, I, I and I would I would love to do a very long run. You know, um, how many issues did Ryan Otley do? on invincible i would love to do like 10 more issues than he did you know but that's oh <laughs> but that's not the industry that that we live in uh you know it's it's a hard book to market uh you know uh, an autistic mailman solving crimes is is a tough book to to uh push in today's market um but that being said i'm i'm so proud of it and i am gonna miss it you know um and it is time to go on to something else, you know, it is time to, to, uh, do a new property. And I mean, it's definitely time for Brian to, and he has been doing this for a while now to get his name more out there. So he has his, his, uh, he was on Hulk. He, he's got his, uh, DC stuff coming out. He's on Titans. He's on all these TV shows. It's like, yeah, people should know your name and that's not going to happen if you're in the, in the smallest, tiniest corner of the comics industry. So it's time to spread our wings. So I actually had a question uh, building off that. Like, I'm sure you don't have any like thing you can maybe announce right here, but like, do you have any plans for what's next? Like, I'm sure you're thinking about it, but I know you still have a couple issues to go here. Um, because you guys are doing the um, the epilogue issues right, as well. Right. He already said he's got grasshoppers playing chess, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pay attention. I, I am pitching it. I read that book. <laughs> um, we, yeah, I, I have uh, I have uh, one thing that I can announce and two things that I can. Uh, so the thing that I can announce, keep your eyes peeled. It will come out soon. It's going to be huge. I'm really super excited for it. Uh, sorry to be so vague, but it's all NDAs and no, whatnot. No, that's okay. Just promise us you'll come back on and talk about it when it happens. Sure, sure. I, uh, uh, and then uh, as for other stuff, I have another book coming out at Top Cow, and that's going to be with Matt Hawkins. Ooh. Oh, cool. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of it, but it's going to be really cool. It's going to be a post-apocalyptic uh, um, sci-fi story. And uh, it's going to be great to work in another genre. You know, I'm really excited to show that I can do other stuff rather than just, you know, regular people talking. Um, with the occasional action scene, you know, I want to do something, uh, with a futuristic design work and, and, um, you know, cool costumes and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very excited for that. And, um, the other thing that I can announce because it already happened and it's over is I was part of the DC comics talent program, um, which was, uh, in October. And so with that, I'm going to be part of a, uh, an anthology story coming out in 2018. And, you know, I haven't been assigned a character yet, but that'll be my first DC comics work where I'm working on a DC character. So that's going to be awesome. 
and very uh, it's it's very very exciting. Ryan Katie, uh, one of your former guests, it was in the program uh, the same year as me, and so you know, fingers crossed, guys. Hopefully, Katie and I will be uh, paired up together, which would be awesome. Oh because God, that would be amazing. Yeah. Did Katie tell you? Um, he and I. I don't know if he, he's cool with me calling him Katie <laughs> publicly. <like this. laughs> But, but he he was one of the guys that was like you know in the room when I got hired at Top Cow. He was an editor there, and they were looking through the submissions. And he was like, "Oh, this uh, shark migration comic looks pretty okay. Maybe we should <laughs> give this guy a look." But he was one of the guys. You know, he was one of the guys there at Top Cow. And then um, when I was announced as one of the uh, the talent hunt winners there. He sent me a message on Facebook that was just like, Hey man, congratulations. I'm Ryan. I think you did a great portfolio. We should get together. So, and then ever since then, we've kind of been like, you know, friends at the friends and going to the comic conventions together and just kind of coming up to, uh, together. And he, I mean, he's doing stupendously well. Uh, I mean, his trajectory has been amazing. He's like, he's like a baby. He's like 22 or something. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so actually staying on like the, the DC workshop stuff, um, we, we got a chance to hear from Ryan, like from the writer's perspective, like what it was the, what was the experience like for you from like the artist's perspective? Way better. Way better. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the artists get a much better experience than the writers. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it depends on how you define it. Let me explain. So the writers, and Ryan told you about this, is every week or so, he's on a Skype call, a lot like the one we're on now, and Scott Snyder will be on there, and they're pitching stories, and they have assignments, and they do what they got to do, and then they come back and they talk about their stories, right? Sounds awesome. And it is awesome. I mean, on a Skype call with Scott Snyder, how cool is that, you know? Yeah, yeah but what the, pretty awesome. But what the artist <laughs> did, which I think it was so much cooler, is... Um, they flew us out. DC flew out the artists. They didn't wow. fly out the writers. Yeah, so they flew us all out for 10 days. And, um, Damn, that's awesome. It was awesome. Are you, th- you guys got to go to summer camp? It was summer camp. Do you guys want to hear like the whole experience? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. Like 1,000%. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I love talking about this. Um, and it's... I apologize in advance because it's going to get very braggy and uh, <laughs> no, lots of hit us. brags. <laughs> a lot, of, lot of like straight up face value brags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so they fly us all out. Well, okay, let me back up. You apply and you send your cover letter and you do your portfolio based on one of the scripts that they post on their website. So I actually applied in uh, the first year that they did it, and I did this uh, Batman story. And um, they sent me back a rejection letter that said, hey, thanks for applying. Uh, you are not ready or whatever it said. It, it was very nice. And I was like, ah, damn. But I was on Postal and, you know, it, it, everything worked out perfectly. Because um, I, I don't know what I would have done when I was on Postal, you know. Uh, so I applied again the next year, uh, this past year. And I did a Superman in high school story, which, you know, growing up on Ultimate Spider-Man Runaways right up my alley, you know, and, uh, um, actually it was the portfolio that, that I got the best, um, response from. And so they, I was one of, uh, six artists. So there was me, there was an artist from Chile, Brazil, um, the UK, Max, uh, um, Max from the UK, 
he's like 40. He's worked at Marvel, you know, like uh, Aneke from uh, Spain. She's on DC bombshells right now. And she's been on DC oh, bombshells, cool. you know, uh, Domo from, from Washington, DC. He was on moon girl and devil dinosaur. And he's doing, um, uh, this wrestling story for boom right now. I mean, these guys are heavy hitters. And then I come in, and I'm like, do you guys like comics about mailman? You know, <laughs> um, but, uh, but like everybody else is like a Marvel DC, like Max, did like Avengers, you know, and he's showing us his freaking Avengers pages and they look amazing. He did like 20 issues of Battlestar Galactica. I'm like, every person there, I'm like, why are you here? Why am I here? You know, uh, but, but so at any rate, they fly us out. They put us up in these hotels in Burbank, California, uh, Burbank, right? Los Angeles. And it's the nicest hotel that I've ever been in. It has a kitchen. You know, it's like the biggest bed and, and it's all for me. There's a couch for when I have guests over. I know nobody, <laughs> but I have a couch in case anybody wants to stop by, I guess. And, um, and then, so they give us our schedule, they give us our schedules, you know, um, and everything was coordinated by this, uh, by the, um, talent manager. Her name is Sarah Miller. She's amazing. She's awesome. Even before this program, she had reached out to me years ago when I was like first starting Postal just to be like, hey, I work at DC. We should know each other. And it's just her job to like know everybody that's like knocking on the door, you know, and she's great. She's fantastic. So everybody's on her radar. Even if you don't think you're on her radar, she knows who you are because that's how good she is. So the way it worked out is every morning there would be a lecture from, um, from Klaus Jansen from, and do you guys know Klaus Jansen from dark Knight returns? Yes, and yes, uh, I mean, he's worked with everyone daredevil, the end with Brian Bendis. And um, you know, he's one of the industry legends, you know, and he's brilliant. He's a brilliant comic book storyteller. He doesn't just draw very well. He, he can articulate the methodology behind camera angles and left to right progression, the 180 degree rule, all that kind of crap, establishing shots, zoom in, worm's eye view, uh, uh, bird's eye view. He knows all that stuff and he can teach it, which it's one thing to know it. It's a completely other thing to be able to teach it and articulate it and critique with that, with that knowledge. Um, and, and, and Klaus's friend, Andy Kubert from Dark Knight 3 and, you know, X-Men and Ultimate X-Men. And Andy Kubert was incredible. This is the first time I ever met Andy Kubert ever. And um, so in the mornings, they would we would have a class on cover composition. And then another day would be um, uh, inking. And another day would just be like layout. Some uh, double page spreads would be another day. And so we would like do our, he would have his lecture and it wasn't as formal as you would think it would be, you know, is we were, we would meet in this conference room and, um, and he would kind of like do his spiel. We would do layouts, put them up on the, on the magnetic board and we would talk about them a little bit. And then in the afternoons, we would talk with a different editorial group. So one day was the Vertigo uh, editorial group. Another day would be the Superman group. Another day would be the Batman guys, you know, the, uh, the special um, projects group, you know. And so we're meeting and showing our portfolio v- portfolios to these different uh, departments of DC. Um, 
All right. That's all well and good. Uh, the coolest thing about going into DC is it's exactly what you would expect it to be. You know, it's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, <laughs> you go in and they've got like in a glass case, they've got the costume, the Rorschach costume from the Watchmen movie. Nice. And right beside it is the Batman costume from Batman Begins. And to the left of all those, are these uh the batman pinball machines and you know these their tv screens of like tom king talking about like what he's going to be doing on batman coming up and they they have so many free comics they're begging you to take comics you know um it's it's amazing so you just walk you're constantly walking around with a giant stack all the free (laughs) coffee you want you know there are batman statues like life-size batman statues multiple batman life-size statues they're all wearing you know baseball hats or whatever like mardi gras beats uh there are action figures everywhere this is uh one guy there um who has uh like the most incredible flash collection you've ever seen uh and uh they have, you know, like the case of every Batman black and white statue they've ever done is on the DC direct floor. And oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's so cool. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And then we, we heard like, uh, you know, the Batman black and white stuff that's coming up. We all had to sign NDAs. We, we couldn't take pictures on the floor because they have like upcoming comics coming out. And then the one of the, the, the other coolest thing is they have the, the library. And when I say library, it's really, it's a, um, it's a museum, you know? So I saw the actual, you know, first appearance comic of Superman and the actual first appearance, uh, comic of Wonder Woman. It's all behind this glass case. You can't access it. You know, they've got original art on all the walls. You put, they pull out these drawers and they have like, you know, Cereal boxes from 1943 of Batman and Robin. It's amazing. The stuff that you would never have even guessed exists, they have it, you know? Um, the, the amount of history that's there, the archives of, of all the DC comics, it's incredible. It's absolutely so, so we all walked away just like super inspired with this, like, <laughs> this like massive feeling of goodwill towards DC. So we all, and we're all just like so hyped. It's just like, holy shit, I just went to Mecca. <laughs> exactly. And like, I, and I'll tell you this much. Uh, so this is your comics pals exclusive because I didn't say this there, but I grew up as a Marvel guy. Uh, and I, I was always a Marvel guy. Never again. Like, <laughs> I'm all about DC. I love Batman and nobody else. I just, I just loved it. It was amazing. It was, it was, uh, you know, one of the best experiences of my entire life without exaggeration. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like extraordinarily lucky to have been able to experience that. Listeners at home, you heard it here first. Jim Lee has indoctrinated Isaac. <laughs> By the way, we hung out with Jim Lee. We had dinners <laughs> oh with Jim God. Lee. Plural. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Dinners, two of them. And then he hung out with us for lunch one day. And he's just like giving us like art cr- critiques. And he's just like, he's like talking about our art. He's got the art in front of him. He's like, okay, I, this angle, it might be more effective if you approach it this way. And he's like, does anybody have a piece of paper? Nobody had paper. They're like these paper plates. He's like, he grabs a Sharpie and on the paper plate, he's just like sketching like edits 
on the paper plates. And then we're just like passing around the paper plates. Like, I can't wait to frame this, you know? <laughs> so we all have a Jimmy Sharpie paper plate sketch now, you know? And it's amazing watching the guy, like he's doing these angles that are like so hard to do. And he's just with a Sharpie on a paper plate doing them. You know, I mean, the guy's a legend. This is a surprise to no one, but, the, but, but it was amazing. And it's just amazing, like, being in front of the guy, being like, holy shit, he drew... Oh, sorry for cursing. No, you're good. Uh, oh, no, you're yeah, fine. No, okay, good. Okay. Okay. He did Batman, <laughs> Hush. He did X-Men. He, uh, like, Omega Red, you know, like, all that stuff. And you're just, like, singing in front of the guy. You know, and he knows he knows my name. Yeah, <laughs> he's talking no, to me right now. Please look at my mailman. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm like, do you like mailman's Jim Lee? He's like, oh, let me follow you on uh, Instagram. I was like, I'm like, what is happening? You know, it was, it was amazing. It was it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, it, it, if uh, I go through the entire comics, my entire comics career, I don't think it'll ever top that. I think that was probably the highlight, and I'm okay with that. You know, it was the best 10 days I could possibly have imagined. But it surpassed every expectation. So, yeah, thanks, DC. And I'm very, very lucky. That's that's incredible. And uh, to be honest, based on your career trajectory and the kind of work you're putting out, I don't think that that's going to be the biggest accomplishment of your career. I think you have a lot more to look forward to in the future. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks I'm more alarmed by that Willy Wonka comparison. Were there other students there that disappeared like the kids of Willy Wonka did? <laughs> They're just like too selfish and they, they, they drown in a river. Yeah. <laughs> that is how it happened. I'm, I'm the last remaining. I run DC Comics now. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Jim Lee took oh, off in a glass elevator and he's like, congratulations. I was like, you own all of this. It's, it, it, it actually looks just like uh, the lobby looks like Justice League headquarters, you know, because it's this round, uh, uh, you know, it's very oddly, the, the architecture is very asymmetrical. And then, you know, you go in and they have the Green Lantern. Uh, they have all the Green Lanterns. Well, I guess the Rainbow Lanterns. They have the big DC Comics logo. It's really, it's really amazing. I mean, it looks exactly how you would expect it to look. That's that is super cool. Thank you for letting me gush and brag. That was no, <laughs> like, I, this is it. awesome. Yeah, listen, dude. Thank you for you, telling us. You got it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you a hundred percent deserve to get a second to gush about it. Like, we're on board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, given that you're the new owner of DC, I just want to speak on behalf of the Comics Pals and let you know that we love DC. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you know whatever you need to promote on on the show. You know, feel free. Uh, as long as we will be your mouthpiece. Yeah, just let us hang out. And <laughs> like, I just want to see the Batman statues. You know, just yeah, yeah. And like, two out of five of us are we are available. It's kind of a gamble <laughs> which one of it, which one of us it is. But on that, on the on the floor where you uh, where we saw the uh, the DC the the Batman black and white statues, they had like the actual shield. An actual shield and sword from the Wonder Woman movie. And so we're just like passing them around. Like, I feel like there should be more security watching us hold <laughs> these actual Wonder Woman props. Um, what, what, what DC books are you guys reading? Cool. So, uh, I am reading Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. I read Green Lanterns. I'm reading Batman White Knight. We're all reading Doomsday Clock. We love Doomsday Clock. 
Uh, uh, did issue two come out yet? Actually, uh, issue two will be out next week, which we're going to... Comes out on my birthday. Yeah. Okay. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Thank bud. You. Uh, we're going to be talking about that a little later. Um, sorry, you were going to say? Uh, I just... Um, I'm, I, I read the first issue of Doomsday Clock, and, and I'm convinced that Gary Frank is the best artist in the industry right now. I mean, and, and the fact that he took... Um, um, Dave Gibbons art and like kind of he's like paying respect to it but also updating it with his style I mean it's yeah, amazing not like keeping it, but like yeah. paying homage to it yeah no like I mean it's definitely rooted what's that have you met Gary no no and no, I haven't have you oh well uh yeah he's super humble <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know the the, the top guys uh, every every like legend in the comics industry that I've met has been super nice and humble. You know, yeah. I mean, I haven't met one top guy that's like I'm the best. You know, like everybody, everybody is kind of just like you know that that saying "Don't meet your heroes." I don't think that applies to the comics industry. Everybody, everybody in comics that I've met that I've admired has has just been you know. Be- better than you would hope they would be you know yeah i I, like my experience like you know from like a a fan perspective obviously um and a professional one i've interviewed people has always been like whenever i like express like oh like i really admire your work i I always feel like they're more surprised they're like really like cool thanks you know like there's definitely not an air of like um i feel like most famous comic creators don't see themselves as celebrities and they they have like a way more down-to-earth attitude about it yeah yeah, um, I, I wonder if it's because we all work from home and we're not used to, you know, we're not used to people and you kind of like don't, like, I, I mean, you know, I, and I'm no big name artist, but, um, but anytime I'm at a convention and somebody comes up to me to talk about postal, I'm shocked that, that people are reading. And I know, I like, I see numbers. I know that it's, it's happening. I, you just, you know, you forget you live in your cave and, <laughs> you know, um, you, you just talk to all your friends on Twitter and it's just like, it's a, it's a very weird life. But, um, yeah, you know, I met, I, of my heroes, I've met Brian Michael Bendis a couple of times. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, he's just such a great guy. And I feel like, I, you know, these, these guys that you meet at the, these comic conventions, uh, Steve McNiven, Alex Ross, whoever um you know they inspire you art wise but then it's also like oh i want to be like that and so i kind of go to conventions i'm like i want to talk to everybody and i want everybody to have a good experience so i hope my hope is when uh anybody talks to me at my convention at at any convention i like make eye contact and (laughs) i'm nice and and everybody has a good experience you know let me run this thought by you because go for it I don't know if this has occurred to you yet, but Brian Michael Bendis is writing at DC soon. Mm-hmm. You're working at DC mm-hmm. soon. That could happen. Yeah, um, they're gonna put, they're gonna put the biggest name. They're gonna put Brian Michael Bendis with Jim Lee. You know, they're gonna do like a <laughs> ten issue Justice League with Jim Lee. They're not gonna put Shark Migration Patterns on <laughs> a Brian Michael Bendis book. <laughs> you saying this when you work with him all right yeah well you know um brian bennis has been um very supportive i don't even know if he knows how supportive he's been of my career i mean you know 
like um, when you're when you're on that level, when you're on Bendis level, a little goes a long way. And uh, him just being encouraging in passing or over email, like the fact that he would respond to an email from me just to say like, hey, thanks. Good luck with all of your work. And that's all he said. But that was like massive to me when I was younger and just starting out. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I have like a very big email that, uh, once I'm, I'm done with a couple of things, I can't wait to email them back and be like, Hey, remember me? We're both at DC now. <laughs> Maybe we could do something, you know, listen to this episode of comics pals, where we flirt with the idea. <laughs> it's the third 37 mark by Michael Bendis. <laughs> Are you going to email him in that voice? <laughs> yeah, that's all of my I send voice recordings. <laughs> Please do send Brian Michael Bendis uh, this episode of the Comics Pals. <laughs> sure. Uh, we <laughs> have a history of, of, you know, listen, so we're, we don't, you know, we don't want to brag. But we have a history of... Uh, please, please brag so I sound like less of an annoying, irritating person, please. Uh, you know, I don't want to say we have sway in the industry, but, uh, you know, Chris Sabella, <laughs> he came on the show and, you know, he had a career. It was going places, I guess. But then he did the Comics Pals and the very next week, the very next week, <coughs> his book, Heartthrob, got picked up. An option for television. So I'm just saying. That's amazing. <laughs> we make dreams come true on the comics, pals. That's all I'm saying. That you, 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 um, you put out uh, your desires out into the universe and, and uh, all of your and wishes the are granted. Pals answer. <laughs> and the comics, pals, exactly. answer your dreams. And we whisper. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those of you at home, if you have a dream. Uh, that you want to be answered by the Comics Pals, all you have to do is write to us. Uh, you can find us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com where you can write to us with, you know, your thoughts on this interview, uh, what you want to get from Santa. Um, we are not responsible for any packages that are lost in the mail. Um, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or your podcast hosting platform of choice where you can also leave us a five star rating. We are currently a five star rated podcast and hope to keep it that way. Uh, Isaac's presence on this show makes us a 10-star podcast, so get your friend to rate us five stars as well to make up for the fact that you can only rate us five stars. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can check us out on there. And uh, last but not least, we're on YouTube, where if you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop that comment. Share the video with your friends and subscribe to our channel. We are on the road to 100 subscribers. We're almost there. Help us get the rest of the way. We're not done with Isaac quite yet because although that interview was fantastic, we still have a game to play. So, Pete, take it away. All right. So we have a little game here we like to play called Apples and Origins every time we have a guest on the show. Um, so, Isaac, to catch you up with the rules, what we do is we put uh, one minute on the clock and basically, we're going to go round robin style, and each of us, like, when it's our turn, we'll name um, an aspect of, like, a character or a team or, like, a, a book, and we kind of, like, just real quick develop an idea for a comic right here. And then the next round is we all have to come up with a name for the book that we developed, and then we'll vote on who had the best name, but you can't vote for yourself. Okay. All right, so since you're our guest, we're going to have you pick the first thing, and then we'll build off that. So... 
wherever you want to start. Like, you want to name a character, you want to name something about the universe we're working in, whatever you want to do. Yeah. All made up. Nothing that yeah. already exists. All totally. We're, we're going to workshop something brand spanking new here. This could be your next your next book. Parallel Universe. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Kale, you got the time on the clock? Yeah, baby. All right. Start the clock. Uh, so, we'll go Isaac, Sean, Phil, me, Kale, Marco. All right. Starting the clock. Okay. In this parallel universe, uh, all creatures, all humans are all black. I knew that's what was coming. <laughs> um, everyone is made of ground beef. What? Okay. We're going to um, get into some real dicey territory here. All right. Uh, everybody can also... It, it's set in the Old West. Uh, their guns are made of spaghetti. They're uh, fighting a rival... Uh, outlaw gang of crickets. <laughs> the the crickets are good at playing the game cricket. <laughs> uh, an alien invasion threatens life in this parallel universe, and it's up to them to stop these alien creatures. However, on this Earth, all precipitation is donuts, and these aliens are allergic to sugar. Oh. All right. For my last one, I was going to say that they have to put aside their differences and unite to fight the alien scourge. What a... This is the weirdest one we've done, I think. (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but... (laughs) All right, so to recap, we're set in a parallel universe where everyone is black and made of ground beef. Uh, All the humans, anyway. There's also a group of crickets that are really good at crickets that are at war with them, but an alien invasion happens and they have to unite to fight against the aliens. Oh, no, and no, no. it's set in the old west and they have spaghetti weapons. Your your s- stop the aliens bullshit doesn't count because it came after the timer. Ah, uh, that's true. Oh, okay. That's, and that's the weather is made of donuts, which is what the aliens are allergic to. All right, so now we name it. Now we have to come up with a name for this monstrosity. Spaghetti Western. That's oh, my name. Oh, that's a good one. You son of a bitch. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Cricket Wars. <laughs> uh, high Noon Chirp. <laughs> it's catchy. I'll, I'll go with uh, with Convoluted World. <laughs> um, since everybody's made of meat, I think I'm going to call it Prime Cut. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So recap the names. What was your Sean? Uh, mine was the Cricket Wars. Spaghetti Western. Uh, High Noon Chirp. Mine was Prime Cut. Kale, did you go? I don't have one. I'm out. Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> oh, I thought- I've got freaking nothing. <laughs> you got nothing? Come on. You got to get this. You got to is- have something. Sean never has anything for these. And we make him pick one every time. You got to pick one. This storyline is hot garbage and I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think hot garbage totally works. <laughs> In fact, that's getting my vote. I'm voting. Okay, I'll, All right, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there we go. And then Isaac, what was yours? Convoluted world. Convoluted world. All right, let's cast our votes. All right, I'm voting for Pete. I thought Pete's was the best. I thought I thought Phil's was the best. Spaghetti yeah. Western. Yeah, I, I, liked, I liked Phil's I'm too. voting for Phil. All right, Spaghetti Western takes it. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> Phil wins, which puts Isaac in uh, rare company. Uh, Isaac, you are only one of three guests we've ever had on the show who did not win the game. So <laughs> that puts you in the loser's bracket. Wow, I must have really sucked, dude. <laughs> uh, so, 
You're you're in good company there. Who else is in the loser bracket? I think it's Dirk and Ryan, right? Yeah. Oh no, Ryan. Ryan was the superior Ryan. It was yeah, it was Ryan O'Sullivan. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So Dirk and Ryan O'Sullivan. I have to tweet at them. So good company. Do you have a loser speech for us? We're putting you on your soapbox, please. A loser speech. Uh, um, I'm proud to lose at this terrible, awful, hot garbage game. <laughs> <laughs> And and I think you it, what I what I really like about that speech is I, I feel like you really encapsulate <laughs> what this game is. It's just a, <laughs> just it's just bad. <laughs> well, I, I I gave you a shout out. I like hot hot garbage. That is a, that is my new favorite <laughs> phrase. There you go. Uh, so real quick, we're gonna jump into our pals polls. Um, so for this week, Kale chose Star Wars Jedi Storms of Crate number one. Uh, yeah. So this uh this this book uh takes place on the on the planet uh, within the Last Jedi uh, where they sort of make their last stand. It's um it's sort of the story of how Leia came to know about this planet. Um, and and, and I won't spoil anything uh if you haven't seen the Last Jedi uh isaac but uh yeah it's a really cool story it's uh it it, it's written by uh ben acker and ben blacker uh who who have um i I don't know why that's funny acker and blacker that's their names (laughs) grow up guys (laughs) they uh they wrote on uh supernatural they're uh just this uh incredible uh team uh, of writers who uh, they they did a stage show called the uh, the thrilling adventure hour, which ended I think last year. One of my favorite uh, stage uh, shows ever. I've met I've, I've met I haven't met any of them. D- stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, some of, some of my favorite actors are are, are on that stage show, and um, yeah, Acker and Blacker hold a special place in my heart, and it's really cool to see them uh, branch out even more into the star wars universe can i tell you can i tell you something weird about acker and blacker yeah um, please they they have no idea who i am but uh they did a they wrote a movie called drones in uh must have been like 2010 or 2011 and um i drew the soundtrack uh art for that movie oh, wow. yeah so if you I, I wonder if it's still up drones yeah, so they, they wrote, it was like a small, tiny indie movie. And, uh, yeah, if you search drones, Isaac Goodhart, you can, on Google images, you can see like my art from 2011 for the, for the soundtrack of the movie that they wrote. They have no idea who I am. I'm, I'm in the process of looking this up. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I, 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 but yeah, they have a comics podcast on Nerdist. Yeah, the Nerdist, the Nerdist writers panel. Yeah, it's very, very, very good. Yeah, they're good guys. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, and then from <clears throat> Marco, we've got Postal Volume 6. <laughs> oh, yeah. That comes out uh, next week. Um, it's by this uh, writer, Brian Hill, and artist... Blanking on a name. Name. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, Isaac Badlong. Isaac Badlong. Glad I came on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, by, by Isaac. Um, and, yeah, I mean pick it up it's it's awesome um i mean we we're, we're talking about it here so like it, just go get it it's awesome thanks <laughs> listen to us talk about it for like 30 minutes so. yeah uh, and then you also chose they're not like us number 17 yep that's uh an image book 
by Eric Stevenson. Stevenson? Yeah, Stevenson uh, is right. And oh, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the artist. Uh, but the colorist is Jordi Belair, and I love Jordi Belair. I love everything that Belair does. Um, and it is coming to a an end. This is the penultimate issue, and I'm really excited for it. Cool. Uh, from Pete, we've got Void Trip number two. Yeah. Um. So you know, we were all fans of Void Trip number one. Uh, like we said, we had um, Ryan and Platt on to talk about the book uh, right before it came out. So we got to read issue number one early, which was cool, but also made it really disappointing when issue number one came out and I had already read it. So I'm really excited to finally get to read issue number two, and it comes out on my birthday. So very much looking forward to that one. Nice. And then Image Plus number five. Yeah. Um, so this one I'm excited about because um, it's got the uh, the the cover story is about Robert Kirkman's new book, which we talked about um, as, as it came out Oblivion of um, Song. yeah, Oblivion Song that came out of New York Comic Con that they announced, and we haven't really heard anything else about it since it got announced. So I'm excited just to get a little drip of it, you know. Cool. And you also chose Saga Volume Eight. Yep, and that's, you know, just a book that we all love. We've talked about a lot here on the show. Uh, Saga is a great read, and if you're not picking it up, you should go pick it up. And if you do pick it up, volume eight's out. Cool. Uh, so I think I speak for everybody when I say Doomsday Clock number two. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> we all loved Doomsday Clock number one. Uh, it was a fantastic read, and I am so, so, so excited to continue this story and see uh, what Jeff Johns and Gary Frank have to you know what they have in store um just it's just mind-blowing and uh we'll be talking about it a lot more next week when it drops so definitely stay tuned for that uh phil did you have anything other than doomsday clock that you wanted to highlight man honestly i i want to just talk about the latest issue of metals because that was the illest shit well let's let's uh let's god damn not do that yeah uh, let's not <laughs> Isaac. Are, yeah. I know you mentioned earlier that you don't have a lot of time to read books just because you're so busy, um, making them. <laughs> um, but w- are there any books that you want to shout out or highlight or anything that you've had the opportunity to read this year that really stuck out to you? Yeah. Um, the, the best comic and a lot of people have been talking about this book. I'm reading uh, Mr. Miracle. That's the only book yes. that I'm running Hot to the store. Yes, Hell yeah. Yeah, every time that book comes out, you know, it's like a holiday for me. I got to get that book. You know, the hype is real. When, when, I, when the hype came out for the first issue and they were talking about it like it's a masterpiece, I got that issue like in the second printing. I was like, what? Who cares? But now I'm full in. I'm locked in and I can't get enough of it. I'm like going back and watching old Mr. Miracle episodes on Justice League, the cartoon. And, yeah. you know, nice. like I'm, I'm like going through Amazon to try and figure out which Mr. Miracle book I'm going to buy now from Jack Kirby, you know, like a... Yeah. Like yeah. I'm just I'm just obsessed with with Mr. Miracle. Just what what Matt Gerads and Tom King are doing on this book. I've never I've never read anything like it in a superhero story. So that's that's are you uh, what I'm reading? No, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh you. no, you didn't cut me off. What's up? Uh, so like, have you read any of Tom's other stuff? No, this is my first Tom. K- oh, you know what? I read Vision. I read the mm-hmm. Vision okay. with yeah. the family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, that one didn't connect with me. To tell you the truth, I know that really? that was another big like Eisner, uh, you know, big thing. I have uh, Sheriff of Babylon, so I'm excited. Sheriff of Babylon is excellent. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into that. 
but um, you know, Omega Man's really good too. Like I know you said that you are, you know, getting more into DC stuff. Um, that was a really great yeah. movie too. Okay, great. I'm I I am backtracking, so I am gonna check out all that stuff. Actually, the Sheriff of Babylon, I got the entire. Uh, series and floppies from DC offices. Oh, I just like nice. found all of them, just like walking home with a stack. I'm like, I'll go read all this. And that's so fucking great. So, yeah. So so, uh, but Mister Miracle is just that's that's not just the best book of the year for me. I mean, that's the best book I've read in I don't know for how long. Like, I think the last book that I loved that much was All New X Men when that was coming out with Stuart Eminem. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. so this is yeah. like the best new thing I've read in a very long time. Yeah. Well, we're all here, big fans of Mr. Miracle here as well, so you're we feel like we're in good company knowing that you're as into it as we are. Yeah, man, for sure. Um so are there any other books that you want to mention? I'm I'm looking uh, all the stuff that I I'm reading right now is like all old stuff. I I do want to shout out uh, Bombshells because um uh Aneke who is in the uh uh the DC Town program with me, she's killing it on that so I've been picking that up. Jackson uh Lansing and Colin Kelly are the writers on that and uh uh I'm friends with them too. We kind of we met at a random party in LA and so uh they're killing it on that book. Um and uh, Brilliant Trash by Priscilla Petratus. Uh She's doing great on that book. And uh, every Top Cow book. I'm really proud to work at Top Cow. And uh, I think that they're doing great stuff. Um, they've got, they're relaunching the universe title. So Darkness is coming back. Witchblade is back right awesome. now. Cyberforce, Aphrodite 9. Um, Top Cow is going to have a big 2018. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I've got another book coming out with them in 2018. Um, they're doing great stuff and, um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at, uh, Instagram.com slash Isaac Goodhart. That's where I post all of my announcements and, uh, that's where I'm most active. So, um, I'll be, uh, talking about my new projects coming up there. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, thank you again for joining us. So happy to have you, uh, involved with us and, uh, really hope we can have you on again because this was a blast. Thank you. Thanks. This was a lot of fun guys. Yeah. You got to win a uh, loser's bracket. (laughs) (laughs) I got to redeem myself next episode. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All right. Take care, Isaac. Yeah. Thanks so much, Isaac. Bye guys. So, uh, it was awesome for us to be able to talk to Isaac. Um, postal really is a great comic and I seriously do recommend that you check it out. To start the news, uh, I want to talk about some other creators who we're big fans of here on the show uh, that we've interviewed or spoken to elsewhere. You know, it's the end of the year, you know, good cheer and all that stuff. So I just want to spread the good cheer and the goodwill and highlight what the creators who we're fans of are doing right now. Uh, and I want to start with the announcement of a new Ghostwriter series by Christopher Sabella. So we we, t- we referenced it a little earlier. We've interviewed Chris before. Uh, he's a fantastic guy, great artist, and uh, he's moving up in the world because he's working on Damnation, Johnny Blaze, Ghostwriter number one with Phil Noto. That's that's incredible. Yeah, congratulations. He's always been Team Phil, and I've always been Team Chris, <laughs> and our friendship has powered him to new heights. <laughs> So the really uh, the really interesting thing about this too is that Johnny Blaze is coming back and he's been kind of off the map for a little while now. So um, I'm excited to see what this brings. Uh, 
And then another one that I wanted to uh, shout out is that Gail Simone and Kat Staggs, they've been working on Crosswind, which is a, is a great book, has a ton of fans. That series has actually been optioned for development as a television series. Uh, that's coming from Variety. Nice. Yeah. So, um, Congratulations. Yeah. Piazza Entertainment is developing the project as a part of a new partnership with Entertainment One. So, congrats to Gail Simone on that. That's super cool. Uh, and then, also, this one is, is one I think you guys are going to like. IGN, they do their best of the year uh, awards every year. And, you know, here at the Comics Pals, we're a huge fan of uh, Mitch Durant's. And he won for best comic book artist for his work on Batman and Mr. Miracle. Nice. Yeah. Really, really happy about that. Uh, and then um, Batman and Tom King didn't really win anything else, but they have a People's Choice Award. So every category has the, the fans can vote as well. And uh, best comic series was or best new comic book series was Mr. Miracle that the fans voted. Uh, best comic book series was Batman as voted by the fans. And best writer was Batman as voted by the fans. Or <laughs> Batman's not the writer. Tom King is the writer. Or <laughs> is Batman the writer? Yeah. Oh. No. <laughs> okay. Who writes the Batman? <laughs> uh, and then the last thing that I wanted to highlight was that Sex Criminals, which is by Matt Fraction and our buddy Chip Zdarsky, um, is on the comeback, and it's going to be coming back this January. So um, I don't read this book. I wanted to, but I think because it wasn't it wasn't brand new when I when it kind of caught my eye, I didn't jump on. Pete, you read this though, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not caught up on the latest arc, but I, I read through the first one when it was like brand new and I was ravenously into it. Um, I even picked up like they did like a little um, they did this little like side book that was like sex tips and stuff like that. I picked that up like, I wonder yeah, why. Uh, oh, you know, I mean, he's I just bad figured at chips. Well, I'm not bad at it, but Chip Sadarsky obviously knows what he's doing more than I do. So, <laughs> you know, I figured I could get some advice from the man himself. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great book. Uh, Matt Fraction and, and Chip are both incredible talents, in my opinion. And, um, you know, it, it was like when I when that is one of the books to me that immediately comes to mind when I think real when image really kind of like put themselves on the map a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, when they, they were like, look at all these hot new books we have from the best names in the industry. Like Sex Criminals was one of those books, uh, at least for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, I'm really excited for it to come back and, uh, I'm glad that I have a couple issues to actually get through because it'll be nice to sit down and chew through a couple of them. Awesome. Uh, then I, I wanted to, I wanted to give a shout out too. go ahead. Uh, Grant Morrison's TV show, happy on the sci-fi channel, uh, had like crazy ratings for the fi- uh, sci-fi channel for its premiere. I think it's three episodes in at this point. The ratings have been pretty good too. Uh, and this is Grant's first foray into television, and he's been trying to do this for like, I feel like ten years. So, uh, kudos to him for achieving a, a dream of his. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to check that out. Yeah, I still haven't had the chance to watch it, but uh, saw the pilot. It is very good. It's weird. It's weird that sci-fi has a hit. <laughs> yeah, like an actual good show. Yeah. What, what was our last one? The Battlestar Galactica show from like fifteen years ago. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. They had a Battlestar Battlestar Galactic show, but I don't even know that it was a hit. Oh, they have that show, The Expansion, that's doing pretty well. Is it? Yeah. I'm just news to me. 
<laughs> cool. Well, you can tune into the uh, TV pals to hear more about that. Uh, go ahead, Kale. Did I tell you guys I had a dream about uh, Grant Morrison last night? <laughs> I kind of like this sidebar. Go on. We were uh, <laughs> we were working on like getting him for like a live version of the show, and I was busy walking around trying to organize it, and I was a hundred percent furious. <laughs> that I had to suck it up and meet Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving right along. Uh, we just, you know, we shared some goodwill. Now we're going to talk about Ben Affleck. Bad will. <laughs> Bad will. Uh, we're going to talk <laughs> about Ben Affleck and the continuation of Batfleck Watch. Uh, so, I thought it was all over, right? You know, when the uh, article came out that kind of said that, you know, there was no chance he was going to perform as the Batman in Matt Reeves' uh, film. But now Affleck has more to say. So in a recent interview with the Daily Saba, um, Affleck spoke about Batman and, and had the following to say. For me, it's interesting, and I always evaluate this stuff on the merit of the material. I want to direct a Batman movie, and I never got a script that I was happy with, so they're starting over and writing another script. And right now, I think a lot of different possibilities, I think, for the way the DC Universe could go, and I will just follow my interests in pursuing that. And I know that I love working with this group of people, and it was a real joy for me to make this movie, referring to Justice League. <clears throat> so... What does that mean? Because I have no idea what he just said. It sounded to me like there's like just rampant disorganization. Like for him to 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 say like, yeah, I'm probably going to just go. It sounded like he said uh, to me, I'm just going to go and do my own thing. It's like, well, where's the where are the execs going? No, no, no we have a plan. We have to stick to the to the plan. Uh, and I mean, if he's just going to pull out and do something like that, uh, it seems a little odd. I wonder if this is him trying to save face. Like, I wonder if this is more of the same runaround he gave us at Comic-Con where he's like, Batman's the coolest part in the world. I fucking love Batman. Two weeks later, I'm looking for a cool way to exit the part. Those are not like he's he's the only one who's giving us mixed messages every studio person, every creative person like they're talking about Batman after Ben Affleck. So, like, I don't think this means that he's sticking around. Uh, so, I mean, I honestly don't know what to make of this. Uh, it's just getting weirder and weirder. I mean, you know, like Marco said, you know, why, like, you know, he can say whatever he wants, but wouldn't he know whether he was going to direct a movie or not? Like, right. Well, and, and I think that's the thing. I think that's he probably still wants to do it i think he's probably just looking for like you know like his own standalone thing where he can do it and have his cake and eat it too and then leave he had that the batman was supposed to be that and then the script was bad and then he said he didn't want to direct and that like it just i, I just don't get it that yeah but that's what i'm saying i think he's still looking for that opportunity it wasn't what he wanted to do, and he, you know, there were reports that he couldn't do it for, you know, for various reasons. Yeah, I remember one of the big things going around was him saying like he didn't think he could do it in the suit. Yeah, which yeah. is like legit because it takes like six hours to put the suit on, so it's yeah. like like you can't be Batman and be a director at the same time. Yeah, which yeah is legit, but yeah, he 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 may still just be looking for that opportunity that 
uh, may never come. So we, you know, we all saw Justice League. Spoilers if you haven't. But at the end of the movie, uh, there is the after credit scene that does include Deathstroke. Uh, and as a result of that, Arrow can no longer use the Deathstroke character. What? Yeah. That's shitty. Yeah. So Mark Guggenheim, who is uh, the executive producer on the show, uh, said the following about this situation. These are DC DC's characters. We're just renting them, you know? So we use the characters that they tell us we can use when we can use them, and we work around whatever limitations they place on us. For a time, they were saying you can't use Deathstroke, and that changed, and we were able to have Slade Wilson back on the show, and now we're back to you can't use him. Uh, given that he's one of the best parts of that show, at least from what I tend to hear, that's pretty unfortunate. I... I, I don't think he is. Oh, like okay. he's he's fine. Uh but like uh, like if he were more than an occasional villain or an occasional, you know, pop-up obstacle, um I think it would it would be uh worse than it is. Um and I and it, and I like Arrow. Like um and I I like the guy, you know, Manu, Manu Bennett as as Deathstroke. But I think them not being able to use that character has really it put it has put more. It's given them more creative uh, space, which I think uh, personally, I think is for the better. I I don't think it's a big deal because they'll just use uh, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, who are supposed to be on on Arrow, and it'll be great. They're your villains. When there was that that whole uh, Stephen Amell Goldust rivalry thing going on a, a year or two ago i really expected gold dust to show up in the show and i really well, wish he would have <laughs> that's the rumor right now is that uh cody rhodes is who's stardust who was stardust is uh, supposed to be on arrow or something there was a rumor about it like a few weeks ago oh sweet but yeah they 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 did the same thing with uh, harley quinn when suicide squad came out like they wouldn't they wouldn't let uh, her show up with the the Suicide Squad that they assembled in in Arrow. Well, in fairness, she is a little monster. Daddy is a little monster to be specific. Dan Didio's a little monster. Wow, oh. <laughs> that took a dark turn. <laughs> <sighs> you, you took us there, Phil. That was all you. Hey, wait, wait. Are you telling me this is some kind of Suicide Squad? <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> you guys make me want to join the Suicide Squad. <laughs> me too. Especially Phil. There's a there's a bomb Woo! in my neck? Right, peace! I wish there was a bomb in my neck. <laughs> oh, God. Moving right along. Uh, Titan Comics and Static Press are announcing a new series uh, that's called Factory. And this is coming from Alejandro... Yodorowsky and his collaborator on Mobius, uh, Yassin El, El, El Hori, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, and, uh, so this is actually a sort of, excuse me, like, let, you know, keep me in line here, Marco, because I think you know about this. Uh, make sure that I'm telling this properly. But this is a, um, a translation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a this is a translation. Um 
And this is a part of Titan Comics' new initiative through Static Press to showcase some of the best comics that are coming from around the world that don't necessarily have the spotlight because they're not in English. And so this particular book is sort of, they describe it as Mad Max meets Fallout um, in a, a nightmarish kind of dystopian planet. Um, and there are mutants. And the factory is supposed to be the last semblance of civiliz- civilization left um, among the wasteland of this uh, dystopian future. We actually got some images from the book that are pretty interesting, uh, which I'll share with you guys. But Marco, why don't you talk to me a little bit about this book and uh, why people should be excited about it? So, uh, Jodorowsky, um, he's a big uh collaborator with mobius um who's a french comics uh artist and um was he's 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 passed yeah he's but their their books are like extremely influential they did uh the incal uh they did oh my god where is it i have some over here Uh, i don't think they did yeah they did humanoids um metal barons like these big series very influential series overseas um that like sort of push push boundaries in the medium um and so like they're bringing them over here and uh i've i you know i've been trying to sort of collect more um eclectic works but like these are like really really big um outside of the u.s like they're so these guys bringing them in is sort of just introducing the american audiences to um some of these works because they are like really cool from an artistic standpoint from like a storytelling standpoint um and they bring in a new flavor you know to <clears throat> to sort of diversify the market a bit more um and introduce people to these new things very cool um I- i'm actually i'm actually excited about this uh so have you guys had a chance to check out the 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 art here it looks really oh, really wow good. this fucking cover dude wow yeah, this Sean, is Sean. I I, re- I really think you're gonna like you're you're gonna like this stuff. Like he's he's a a great collaborator uh, with like some of the other stuff that he's he's done. Um, I I think you're gonna enjoy this stuff. Some of this stuff is gross. Yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I'm definitely into this on the outset. Uh, this is this is really cool. And what I love most about it is that this look. This is stuff that we are not exposed to. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. And I want to be. I want there to be more opportunities for uh, artists and creators that are coming from other countries that that don't necessarily put their work out in in English uh, because they have totally different stories to tell than the ones that we, you know, have access to. And so I'm really glad that Titan is doing this and I can't wait to see um, this book and then what else they end up doing. So. Yeah, this is a really exciting initiative. I think especially when you think about, like, how big comics are in other parts of the world, like, getting just different perspectives from different places is always cool. It's always enlightening, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, something else that I'm kind of excited for is this. It's Valiant has sh- is showing off their first look at Exo Manowar. So... Valiant announced uh, in 2016 that there was going to be a film uh, based on their their comic book properties, um, that they were going to put together a cinematic universe. Um, and now we've got our first image uh, from the, the initial movie 
that's going to be coming out, which is titled Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe, uh, which is an interesting, you know, an interesting title for their movie. Yeah. Um, but this image, I think this looks really cool. No, this looks great. I've never, I, I don't recognize this actor. Jason David Frank is going to be Bloodshot in yes, this film. Yes. Like oh, Tommy damn. the Green Ranger is going to cool. be in this. Holy shit, That's dude. That's cool. So the actor that we're looking at here is Delic Thaler or Delic Theller as Exo Man of War. Uh, I've not heard okay. of him. Um, but we also have Michael Rowe as Ninjak, uh, the aforementioned Jason David Frank as Bloodshot, uh, John Hennigan as the Eternal Warrior, Sierra Foster, Foster as Livewire, Chantel Berry as Roku, Kevin Porter as Armo Strong, Alex Megley as Archer, um, and then it goes on from there. So th- this is really interesting. Yeah, it's crazy to think that they're going to introduce all these characters like in one movie. That's what that's what I find so interesting about this uh, is that they're taking the direct opposite approach to what Marvel or DC have done. And I'm very, right. very curious as to how this is going to work out. Me too, because I think it might actually be a better strategy for them if it's actually a good movie. Like, I, I think when it comes to, like, Marvel or DC characters that have history and, like, name recognition, like it makes sense to do it like piece by piece, right? Like that, that I think is, you know, maybe, maybe it's just because Marvel did it right. And it seems like a tried and true formula. I feel like when it comes to something new though, like are people going to want to watch a bunch of other new superhero movies in a different universe that they've never heard of? Like maybe not, but if this comes out and it's really good and exciting, I could see it maybe getting people's interest. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Could be good. Yeah, and I, I, I said all along that, that this is how Justice League should have done it. Yeah. They should have put everybody in one movie and then split off based on who was popular. Um, if this, yeah, if this works, this could do exactly that. Yeah, just like you're saying. And, like, I think it's especially interesting for this to be happening in light of the whole Disney Fox thing. Because, like, we were talking about how, like, oh, like, are we going to have avenues for, like, R-rated superhero movies or, like, different kinds of superhero movies that have a different style or tone? Like, maybe this could be the opportunity for that, right? Something from the independent space. Do we know who's – what studio is doing this? So, that's the kind of weird part, right, is that the article doesn't talk about the studio that's working on it or anything else. Now, I remember – uh, that they had announced this at Comic-Con, not this one, but last year. And 2016. It, yeah. yeah. And it, it, so I, but I don't remember who was announced to be, uh, producing the, the movie. Oh, here we go. Okay. It's actually not a movie. It's a six episode web series. Definitely a movie. I, I know it says that, I know it says in this, uh, this 2016 press release that it's a webisode. It's a, it's a web web series, but the, okay, but it's definitely a yeah. movie. Okay, huh. maybe yeah. yeah maybe, I'm looking at maybe that's why nobody knows yet. Is well, uh, I'm looking at a this bleeding cool article from four days ago, and they're describing it as a series. But the article that's so funny because the article we're looking at we we were just looking at describes it as a movie. Hmm. Hold on. I'm looking look at an actual press release here from the from their website back in 2016, and they say exclusive series announcement. So and then this this the CBR article from three days ago also says live action web series. Okay, so then the article that I had was wrong. So there you go. 
Uh, but yeah, that must, it must have just been a typo. But, uh, uh, it says that they're working with Bat in the Sun Productions. One of the leading producers of scripted original content in the digital arena. Uh, oh, they do the show Superpower Beatdown. That's a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. Um, they, they do live action superhero fights like this, actually. So that totally makes sense that they're the ones behind this. Okay. So there, there we go. We got our answer. It's a, it's like a web series and they're the ones doing it. Well, in that case, this is extremely high quality for a web series. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like that's their goal, right? Is to do like premium content on the web, which like isn't unheard of, you know, like this could totally find an audience if it's good. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that matters at all. It might actually be able to be more successful and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, man. I feel like there's a, there's a ripe space though. You know, I think there's definitely like the idea of premium content on the web is something people are getting more and more comfortable with. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where it plays out. I wonder if they'll make this like a YouTube red series or something. Yeah, that's a that's that's an untapped space in terms of, you know, putting really premium content, superhero content out there in that way. So, um, you know, remains to be seen. Good work. Yeah. Uh, so last week we did our, our episode about Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and uh, you can listen to that for our reactions to the film. But um, the movie has done gangbusters in terms of. Uh, the money it's made. You know, granted, this is one of the most divisive blockbuster films ever, but people definitely showed out to see it. Um, it's made $650 million so far, uh, worldwide. And it's, I mean, Christmas is coming, uh, this weekend. We don't even have the numbers for. So I guess if you're listening now, Christmas has passed, but at any rate, um, we don't even have the numbers for this weekend. So this movie is a juggernaut and it shows no signs of stopping. Yeah, none of us are seeing a penny. Where are the comics pals going to profit off this movie? <laughs> I'm waiting for my residuals. Yeah. Obviously, they used Marco's likeness when he was uh, designed, when, when the porn design was based off of him. <laughs> yeah, Marco actually did the VO for that scene where he's like, bah! That, that was me. Um, but unfortunately, they miscredited me. So the person you see there is uh, wrong. This is, this is a. I can see why this movie's so divisive now. <laughs> it's an outrage how they're treating the, the scab workers that worked on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this isn't obviously. Emphasis on scab. This is obviously not surprising. You know, Star Wars is an institution. Um, and every Star Wars movie makes a lot of money. But, uh, I think the fact that the movie is so divisive is probably also contributing to its success to some degree. Um, you know, divisive movies get butts in seats. It, it actually is doing worse than The Force Awakens. That also kind of makes sense because that was like a return though. You know, like that was the first Star Wars movie in, you know, um, what, 20 years? Is that right? No, no, not at all. Uh, it's the first Star Wars movie in about 10 years. I think the last Star Wars movie was 1986. Oh, oh, good. oh yes, it was. You're right, good Phil. Good point, Phil. Um, yeah, so I'm bad at math. But uh, the, the point remains that I get why that movie would have done better, even if this one was the best Star Wars movie of all time, right? Because, like, that was an event in a way that, like, this isn't because we had episode seven and then we also had Rogue One. So it's like, you know, you've had a Star Wars movie 
every other year, every year since it came back. I think I think saturation is definitely oversaturation is definitely an issue. Uh, I disagree. I think that Rogue One was different enough that uh, you could have enjoyed that and not necessarily uh, love Star Wars or be burned out by Star Wars if you do love Star Wars, just because it was sort of its own thing in some ways. Um, and I think that this movie, uh, The Last Jedi, is different enough from both of those, but still Star Wars, that I, I, I mean, I don't see why anyone would be near burnout Star Wars-wise just because we've had, you know, a few movies over the last few years. Well, and I think it's, I think it's also really interesting that so many people who say they didn't like it are going to see it again. Yeah. And that's, yeah, so that's the fact that a ton of people are going to see it again is uh, really weird that it's still not doing as, as well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what to attribute this to. I personally think that it has something to do with the negative, the negative reactions that the movie has received because, um, you know, look, the Rotten Tomatoes score, the fan score is crazy and word of mouth goes a long way. Uh, this movie has seen a significant drop in the, in the next week. Uh, so came out last week. So in, in this week, Wednesday, there was a 77% drop off in viewership for the movie. Uh, and of course, you know, that's midweek and stuff, but 77% from, you know, just the prior movie, that's a pretty high, pretty steep drop. Uh, and now, the alt-right, an alt-right group, is claiming responsibility for the score that the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score that the movie has. Um, they're alleging to have created um, bots that tank the score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, whatever, fuck them, who cares? So we can, we can attribute them as, like, terrorists, right? Like, same... Same thing, like, you know, ISIS takes credit for bullshit that doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, they're terrorizing me, yeah. Well, no, 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 I, I think what Kale's saying is that, like, we, we don't, like, necessarily be- shouldn't believe that, right? Isn't that what you were implying? That, like, that they're just taking well, credit for something? But also, because- they're pretty much, I mean, there's a, plenty of people on the far right who you can probably characterize as terrorists. In light of the shit they do. All right. Well, let's okay, not go not into a whole other political thing. What? Um. So sorry. What? Uh. What day did Star Wars come out? Uh. The, it was last week. It was last week, the fifteenth. Well, believe. so I was wondering. I was wondering if the Force Awakens did a little bit better because it it came out uh, a little bit closer to Christmas, so people would have been off. They would have been, you know. Um, uh, going to, you know, spending time with family and then going to see the movie. Um, and we haven't quite hit that that point yet with uh, Star Wars. Uh, but, yeah, that would be like this week, right? Right, right. Uh, but uh, the Force Awakens came out on the 18th in uh, 2015. So I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really see that as being quite a quite as big of a um, a jump. I just think there was more hype around the first one i really do yeah. you know like i I, yeah. I really think that that movie appealed to um, to more casual moviegoers because it was the first star wars in a long time and this isn't star wars is a thing that we're going to get every year from now on so i i i i don't i'm not surprised to see this appealing to a more casual base is right 
That's for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, I was. Uh, Phil's recycling opinions that he told on the show twenty <laughs> episodes ago. So, um, a few weeks ago, we did we did an episode talking about CB Sibolsky and how he posed as a, he used a pseudonym uh, of Akira Yoshida in order to write for Marvel. Posed is a good word for it. Sorry. Uh, he used he used a pseudonym to write for Marvel. And present himself as an Asian person uh, in order to get a job. And this information came out the same day as he was promoted to the editor-in-chief position at Marvel Comics. And so he came under fire for uh, <clears throat> using this name and, uh, you know, allegedly, according to some people, taking work from, uh, you know, actual Asian people. Uh, and now Sobolski has come out and... Uh, spoken a little more about this issue. So he had the following to say to the Atlantic by email. I'm truly sorry for the pain, anger, and disappointment I caused over my poor choice of pseudonym. That was never my intention. I've spoken with talent close to this issue and have had candid and productive conversations about how we can improve the industry and build better stories while being mindful of the voices behind them. So it appears that CB is taking full responsibility for his actions and trying to uh, better himself. I mean, yeah, this seems consistent with how you responded to the the controversy originally. You know, that like... I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum that episode. Um, it didn't seem to come from a place of, uh, of ill intent, more just, you know, uh, a mistake made in ignorance that he's trying to own up to and apologize for. And, you know, it's, it's up to you as the individual if you want to accept that apology, I guess. I mean, fair, but in the article we have from, uh, polygon.com, um, literally above the, the line, where his apology is, uh, it, it says, quote, uh, when he was young and naive, uh, and this is, Sub I'm quoting Sobolski here now, uh, but this is all old news that has been dealt with, unquote. And that just, to me, even before that apology, it's just, it reads as, oh, well, eh, who cares? It doesn't, I'm editor-in-chief now, so it doesn't. No, 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 we already dealt with it, it's okay. It's old news. Yeah, and, and, and that... That was something that he did say uh, when this news dropped. That was his initial reaction. So, like it, it, it feels like such a non-apology that it doesn't like. Why did he even bother? I, I personally didn't see this as a big deal, but at the same time, I agree with you, Kale, uh, about that reaction. Uh, so I cannot see it as a big deal, and that's fine because I'm nobody. I'm not involved. I'm, a, I'm a commenter. Uh, but for him to be in the center of it and to dismiss it as nothing in that way, that's a little, you know, I don't know. I'm not cool with that. I think I think we're probably on the road to just moving on from this whole deal, uh, especially now with a, a more, you know, authentic apology, an apology that's probably been through a couple of people's hands. That's, uh, you know, coming from Marvel. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're probably on the verge of, of this being a, a black mark on his career, but a, a, a black mark that we'll be able to move on from. The most, authentic, the most authentic apology is one that is screened and proofread by multiple people to make sure that it appeals to the most people as possible. That's right. Hey, PR people got to eat too, baby. 
So the biggest story of the week by far uh, is Marvel canceling several uh, titles. They've they've at this point they have canceled uh, six titles, and that's going to be our our main topic this week. Um, so I want to I want to outline the titles that they've canceled and why sort of this has been such a big deal and why people are having such a reaction to this. And I think the reaction is very interesting. So uh, first, here are the titles that have been canceled. Uh, Generation X, Hawkeye, Iceman, Jean Grey, The Unbelievable Deadpool, and Luke Cage. Uh, so... Those series are all definitely canceled, and then Secret Warriors and Defenders are missing from um, missing from March 2018's solicitations from Marvel. Um, <clears throat> Captain Marvel, Mighty Captain Marvel, is also missing, but um, Margaret Stoll, who writes that book, has said that that book has not been canceled. Uh, Champions is also missing, but Mark Wade says that it's not canceled either. So we don't know exactly what's going on with those books. Um, they may be getting new titles, you know, different names. Um, we, we, we don't know yet. Or maybe they're missing a month for some reason. But this is leading a lot of people to ask questions about why these books are being canceled. Now, David F. Walker, who writes for Luke Cage, uh, shed some light on the issue. And it's actually very simple. Sad But True, Luke Cage, the comic book, not the TV series, has been canceled. This is coming from uh, a series of tweets from uh, David. Issue 170 is the last and best of the series. Oh well, on to other adventures. Thanks to everyone who supported the series. Time to get real. Luke Cage was canceled because it sold poorly. Very poorly. There are various factors that contributed to those poor sales... But they all add up to the same conclusion. The success of superheroes in film, television, and video games only carries over to comics when people actually buy the comics. Truth is, not many people buy comics. Of the last, of the top 10 best-selling comics in November, only four sold more than 100,000 units. That's sad. So, that's one piece of the, of the puzzle here. Here's another. If you look at the books that have been canceled, um, and then if you even look at the books that that aren't being solicited, the ones that we referenced earlier, there's something very consistent about them. They are all books that represent Marvel's, you know, for lack of a better phrase, diversity initiative. Luke Cage is black. Jean Grey is a woman. Gwenpool is also a woman. Iceman is gay. Uh, Generation X is, I mean, that's obvious. And Hawkeye is the outlier as he is, you know, just a regular straight white guy. Um, and Deadpool uh, that, as well, right? That's sorry. That series was about Kate Bishop, though. Oh, was this one about Kate Bishop? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, this was Kelly Thompson's, uh, Kelly Thompson's uh, lady Hawkeye. Oh, book. you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is, that sucks. Okay. So, so Deadpool's the only outlier of like a popular character. Who's getting cut? No, I, I said Gwenpool. Oh, it was just Gwenpool? Okay. I'm sorry. I misheard you before. But she's... But Gwenpool's pretty popular. Right, yeah. So, 
what makes that so weird is that all the commentary about these books has been great, uh, and all of these characters are popular for the most part, varying degrees, I suppose, but it's really interesting that these books are books that people talk about a lot and sing the praises of, but yet no one is buying them. And so my question is, what is it about fans of books, fans of comics, who claim to love all of these books and all of these comics, but then don't show up to the stores to buy them and then complain when the books get canceled? I think that these books would have sold better if they had a white guy pretend to be a woman or a black guy or whatever minority uh, that was writing the book. If they were pretending to be that, they would have sold better. So if the book starred Akira Yoshida... I, I hate that take so much. Uh, I'm just making Sean, jokes over here. Sean, do you have do you have any uh, information in your notes about uh, America? America? I could have I saw that thing was being canceled. America was also not solicited, uh, but I'm not so sure, not official I'm yet. Not sure that that's a, that it's directly canceled yet. Okay. I know Marco's disappointed about that idea. That book's also an outlier because, you know, Marco said it's not good. So <laughs> unlike I mean, these other books, it is not popular or well-received. Well, no, so no, no. It, it's, it popular. it's popular. America yeah. is popular. Oh, it is? It is. Well, I'm just going by what Marco said. So. <laughs> Marco and, and Sean. Yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. Oh, yeah, you hated it. Yeah. You hated it too, yeah. <laughs> so Tom, Tom Brevoort commented on the issue and said it's worth pointing out again Incredible Hulk was cancelled once X-Men was cancelled once Thor was cancelled once being cancelled is not necessarily the end of the story nor does it necessarily reflect the value of the work that's a fair point and I think that as a fan of comics you can acknowledge that as, as, as a real thing and it happens but I have two questions and again I'll reiterate why do people react so unbelievably crazy to these things, but then don't buy the books. And then number two, is Marvel doing themselves a disservice by publishing so many books? It feels like a, 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 feels like a poetic conclusion to Marvel's 2017. And that's not commentary on the quality of the books, but rather the, it's been a, it's been a tough year for Marvel and just having to like this bloodbath of this, an axe of so many titles, um, especially the ones that have been the most controversial, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. It just, it feels like, like it, it, it feels like a, it feels like a, a tied up narrative almost. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, there might be something to that. It, it, it's just interesting because I don't, I don't know that this is really indicative of much other than the fact that these books don't sell very well, but we talk about it week in and week out, like comics don't sell very well. You know, like when Marvel's publishing 52 books or, you know, not 52 anymore, but you know, we all, we all talk about how they publish too many books, right? Um, I don't know exactly the number they're at this year, but it's always a lot more than the competition or it has been in recent years anyway, um, since I've been covering comics. And, uh, I think there's something to what you're saying, Sean, is that like there is too many books and I, I don't like canceling six comics right now or like there might be closer to 10 based on some of these other ones that we're not sure about. Like that seems like a lot. But when you put out 20 more books in your competition, like like some books have to get canceled. And like we have the word from the horse's mouth here, right? Like why did Luke Cage get canceled? Luke Cage got canceled because Luke Cage do doesn't sell, not because Luke Cage is black. 
I don't think that this is motivated by them trying to clean house of their diverse characters. I think it's that these characters probably don't sell very well. And, like, just because there's critical acclaim, that doesn't mean that there's going to be the same fan reaction. Because I don't I don't think that... And that's just not how comics work, you know? Look at Last Jedi. Or, like, look at, you know, um, uh, fucking... We, I was just talking about it earlier. Uh, Omega Men. Right? Like, that was... Uh, critics loved Omega Men, but it didn't sell well and it got canceled. Um, and, you know, like that happens and it, it, I don't think it's necessarily indicative of the quality of the book. It's indicative of the characters or the book's failure to penetrate the market. And that could be from a myriad of things. It could be because of political or ideological, uh, differences with some of the fan base. It could be people trying to make a statement with them saying, I don't want these characters. I want the old characters. You know, it could be people just losing interest naturally. Like I did when they killed off ultimate Peter and they brought in miles. It wasn't that I hated miles. It was that, well, that wasn't the character I was reading about. So like you lose people sometimes that way. Like it could be a trickle of all these things feeding into why these books don't perform as well as other books and why it makes sense for them to cancel some or most of them. I don't know that it necessarily says anything about like their greater intentions or that these characters are even going anywhere or anything like that. You know, I think what he's saying about how many other really significant comics have been canceled and come back is salient. You know, that happens all the time. That's part of the industry. I didn't even know there was a Luke Cage comic. There you go. Yeah. To, to Pete's point, like we, we, we talk, we talk about it all the time, right? Like diversity isn't the reason that it, diversity isn't the problem. You know, people, enjoy the books sure but ultimately i i guess the question is like if it's not if it's not diversity right then what's the cause of people not reading these books like where where are the where are the numbers you know well i because I, I i don't think that there are that many people that are as intimately connected with comics like you know that go to the book store every single week and try out new books you know like you know, I think like even looking at the five of us, like you and Sean do that, but you know, I, I was like, Kale's a trade waiter. So if there are how many people like Kale that don't go and buy singles. So that means that book doesn't have good sales. So that means it gets canceled, you know? And like, maybe, you know what I mean? Like obviously TPB's playing to sales and everything, but if a book is really floundering in its first six issues or whatever, like it might not get further than that. Like even if you get the volume one, that might be the volume they get. Because there is a percentage of fans that don't go to the store every week and buy singles. There's a bigger percentage of fans who care about superheroes but don't really read comics. And, you know, like there, there is a, there's such a small, when you talk about like the actual group of activated comic book fans, you know, that buy comics on a regular basis, you're talking about really a, a small pool of people in general that are cut up into super small slices. Like, if you're uh, a per- – like, Marco, you always talk about, you know, jokingly, but you don't like superhero books, right? So, like, you're not buying these comics on a week-to-week basis, but you're an activated comic book reader. Yeah. How many other people are there like you who only read Image or who only read Boom or whatever, who only read, like, the one or two series that they pick up and nothing else? Yeah. And they're not going and looking at new shit. Or they do read an ongoing superhero book because they're like, I fucking love – you know, like somebody like me when I was younger, like I love Spider-Man. I love Peter Parker. So I'm going to read Ultimate Spider-Man. He's dead. Well, you lost me. That was the character I was following. I don't care. And it's not a dig at new characters. It's that 
I care about X character and I read this character. There are a lot of comic book fans that are like that. They follow characters, not creators. I feel like that's when you see the switch between someone who's a casual comic book fan and a serious comic book fan as someone who's like, I really like Batman or someone who's like, I really like Tom King. And I don't think there are that many people who, who are like that in the, in the grand scheme of things. And a lot of them are fucking critics. So it's like, well, to that point, I feel like there has been a shift from character to creator in the way that the industry follows books or follows like comics in general. So I, it's just a thought you started to me right now when you said that. Like, so, so yeah, so maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe it's like we need to put a creative team that has that weight onto a book, onto those books to, to sort of. But not every creative team is going to have that weight. Like that's just not something you can do. And we've we've talked about this year about how Marvel's been having kind of a talent drain problem where a lot of oh, their yeah. big names are going other places, you know, because um, the company's struggling right now. Even the big names they're getting, you know, like uh, like you said, like uh, uh, Gabby Rivera, you know, is a, a, a YA novelist. You would think that some of her fans would come over and, and pick up, you know, something that she's doing. You know, I, I, you know, is the the hypothetical situation there? Same as Sign of Grace. Um, uh, um, America was a was a pretty popular book. I don't know the numbers now, but when it first came out, it was pretty popular. Um, I, I I don't I don't I can't speak to to Sign of Grace though on Iceman. Yeah, it. You know, I think. Yeah, I mean, he he was like a small name. You know, like he was known for being the editor of Walking Dead. He wasn't he he's written a couple of books hasn't he and sad sad little depressed boy yeah that was his other thing and he's done memoirs for image like he hasn't okay, done anything not. like major major so my my thing is you know when it comes to marvel um i don't have a connection to pretty much any writer they have mark wade i really like um jason aaron i really like um but then that's kind of it, to be honest, in terms of the writers that I, you know, that I follow their work. And, I, you know, anytime I see their name I'm, that, you know, piques my interest, they're, they're, they're kind of lacking. And, I, you know, I don't want to – I'm not bashing the writers whose books are being canceled right now. That's the last thing I want to do. Uh, but these are not writers who speak to me and they're not writers who I consider to be high profile. Uh, so I do think that there's a connection there on some level. Um, what what books? Sorry, Sean. What, what what books do you pick up from Marvel right now? I pick up a lot. Uh, I was buying Jean Grey, so that is that is one. Yeah. Um, I guess I you know I'm a I'm an outlier in that. Um, <laughs> uh, there are literally dozens of us. Jean Grey is also transitioning into another story. That's true. Like, that's not wholly unexpected. Yeah, right. Like, there's a good chance that that ongoing isn't being canceled because of anything other than the fact that they're, like, having her lead a new book. Yeah, you know, Sean, what you said is interesting because it seems like it's a real sink or swim kind of thing because Marvel has a lot of up-and-coming writers, from my estimation, and they really hemorrhaged a lot of their larger-named writers, whether they've gone independent, like, um, uh, shit, what's his name, uh, Hickman? Um, Hickman, Fraction, any yeah. of the guys that were there in 2014, or, or guys like, having exclusive deals, like Tom King with DC. Yeah, they had them. 
Oh, and then the biggest one of all this year, crown jewel of the last 15 years, BNB. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, there's a major talent drain there. And, like, you can argue that that'll be good in the long run because they're fostering a new generation of talent. But, like, I think they have a – I think it's, I think it's like, a – I think it's really a Venn diagram of fuck-up of, like, we have all these new writers who are not names to, like, inside baseball comic book people – and we're having them write about new or less popular characters or like taking popular characters and reimagining them. And like, that's going to resonate with some people. It's going to alienate a ton of other people. And when you have the people who are the names that they follow going and working on independent books or writing for DC, I wonder if Marco's right. And that some people are just jumping ship and being like, well, I'll go follow them. I don't care about what's going on with these new characters. I'm not familiar with, or like whatever. In a, in a, in a long story, short kind of way, it's it's a it's a branding thing from an author and artist standpoint and from a character standpoint because you have relatively unknown talent working on relatively unknown characters and while that's innovative and bold and risky, there's a there's a huge financial risk and that's I mean I think that's part of what we're seeing. I also think we would be ignorant to ignore like I you know I know we talked about it a lot because it was a major news story but I think we'd be ignorant to ignore the fact that like the diversity issue doesn't play some role in it like that there are some fanboys or, or whatever you want to call them uh who are like that you know who don't want to read comics about women Turks. or minorities yeah and but like I think that they're like when you, again when you're talking about the most successful comic selling 100,000 copies if even a 1000 people are like that and they are like, well, I'm not going to read this book anymore. That's a fucking huge, like that affects the bottom line. And like, we saw that happen with GI Joe, like to say that there aren't comic fans that are out there that are like this, that are activated and impact the bottom line because they don't want to read about, you know, a di- diverse group of characters in that way. Um, I think is, is ignoring part of the problem. No, like it's, it's, it's gotta be a drop in the bucket. No, Pete, you're wrong. There's no shitty comic fans. <laughs> No such thing. I agree, one hundred percent. When I thank you, Sean. When I shut up, <laughs> I fucking hate you so much. <laughs> when I introduced this, uh, you know, I brought up the fact that each of these books falls into that category of being a book that people could dislike because of the the base of characters. You know, whether it's a woman or Luke Cage is black, like uh, all of these books are that. And it's not any great surprise. Or again, just because you literally don't even know who the fuck the character is, you know, like. But but these characters, that's the thing. These characters are popular with a certain group of people, but those that group of people either doesn't buy comics or is small enough that they can't keep the book alive. Gwenpool is a character like you see Gwenpool all the time. Gwenpool's everywhere, you know. So much art. Yeah. Well, maybe that's. Uh, like uh, knowing that when it, maybe when the book started, it was like, "Hey, this is a popular character. It's resonating with people. People are picking it up." We all know that over time, you know, sales dip and they find like a stable base, right? Um, so what if that just could be uh like a marketing thing? It's like, "Hey, we know these characters were popular. People were receptive to them, so let's push them." And that's why they have this permit, like this. We see them in outside of just comics. We see them, you know, in in, in just in other spaces in general. But maybe oh, yeah, they, like that movie we talked about. They're doing the animated movie with a bunch of the young, new, you know, mostly minority superheroes. Yeah, but like maybe they 
maybe they banked on the wrong character you know like it could have been popular at the beginning and then now that they have all this push and it's just these weren't the people to do it and and i think it also just goes back to they um like we've talked about this in the past they don't have that representation outside of comics and these companies don't promote comics in general so if nobody else sees them outside of that they don't know that they exist I also feel like there's a saturation issue with some of these characters. Like, I feel like, like, the whole Gwenpool thing, like, Gwenpool is popular, but it's also, like, ever since Spider-Gwen took off in, like, what, 2014 or whatever, it's, like, it's been, like, Gwen Stacy's fucking everywhere, and it's, like, I don't even read Marvel shit, and I see Gwen Stacy everywhere all the time. So, like, I wonder if some of these new fans are just, like, okay, like, I liked her, but, like, enough is enough. You know, like, it was fine as a miniseries or whatever. I didn't need a Gwenpool ongoing. Like, maybe... You know, maybe the market's just self-regulating that we don't need a book about every one of these characters. Like, not every character needs their own book. You know, like, why do you think they put Luke Cage and Iron Fist together? Because neither of them could support their own book. And, like, sometimes that happens. Pete's vendetta against the Spider-Verse characters continues unabated. Yep. (laughs) Nah, Silk is cool. (laughs) Um, No, but, you know, it's like, I'm not, like, this isn't me making any commentary on these books or anything. It's just me. I'm just trying to like look at the pieces and, and try to make guesswork about why things are happening the way they are. And like, I don't think I'm not surprised by this. You know, I don't, this isn't like shocking to me. And like, Sean, I honestly like, there's no way to say this without sounding like a neck beard, but like, I think you're right that like, I do think that the outrage around these books comes from people who like the idea of these books, but don't care to read them. Actually, they're like, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just saying an interesting question but did any was anybody surprised by this uh but by the cancellations of these specific books uh no the only one that i was kind of surprised by was uh gwenpool just because uh you know i know that she's a popular character um but also i'm fairly confident that this isn't the only book that's like being published about her or i should say there's a spider gwen book and then gwenpool is a combination of like that plus Deadpool, which is kind of weird. So maybe, maybe it's a weird amalgamation that people aren't super familiar with. But I just thought that, that this character was resonating with people to a level that, you know, she'd be able to sustain her own book. But other than this, I'm not surprised. Like, I, I really thought Hawkeye and Iceman were doing well. Um, so I was a little surprised by those. Like I said, I didn't even know about Luke Cage. Um, See, like, I really think, like, Iceman is one of those books that I feel like we get the impression it's popular because people are talking about it because it's a story. And, like, again, this isn't a dig at Cena. Like, I'm not – this is not commentary. This is not representative of how I feel. I'm saying I believe that you hear about Iceman because they're like, oh, they made Iceman gay. They finally made a comic that's about Bobby and it's about him being gay and there's stuff about him coming out of the closet. Like, it's a very personal homosexual superhero story. That makes headlines. That's the thing that you see on CBR, you read about on comicbook.com, and then you don't go pick it up. And, like, and I think that's true. And I think that Sean's right that like there are a lot of people who are not really comic book fans that are in this space now who are like fans of superheroes who are like fair weather kind of fans that um, just aren't really interested in reading a monthly superhero book at all. You know, like maybe they'll read Watchmen, maybe they'll read Earth One or one of the other random like trades or something that someone buys for them or they get suggested by somebody like us or whatever. But they're not the activated comic book reader that's going to go read America number seven, you know? And 
I think that's a problem. Like, I think that like a, a lot of the, the love for these characters comes from, or like, again, like with Gwenpool and Spider-Gwen, like how much of that is like cosplay? Is people who are like, I think this is a cool design and a cool character, but I don't read, I don't give a shit about it. Like, I don't read it, and if it goes away, it doesn't matter. Like, they're into the design, they're into the idea of the character. Oh, punk rock, you know, spite, yeah, cool. Like, but it's not, it, it, I don't think that that necessarily equates to readership or to a fan base that's like clamoring for more, you know? I think it's also worth pointing out the, um, like the, the sort of disparity that the the big two have on like numbers um so like in in this article from uh at comicbook.com uh uh who is it david f walker says that uh in november um only four titles from marvel sold more than 100,000 units uh you know the those numbers sort of carry over from you know back in the day when marvel and dc were the only books in the game you know the only sure. companies in the game so yeah, until the 90s yeah uh so like you know we've we've sort of we've touched on it and we've sort of danced around it like there are other you know books that people want to spend their money on so like for image selling 40,000 is amazing. Like image will throw you a parade if you can sell 50,000, you know, uh, issues. But for Marvel, Marvel and DC, that's like 40,000 is can't, you know, is worth cancellation. Like scale comes into play. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, it, it, it's probably time for Marvel and DC to adjust their sales expectations. I think, but I think that has to come with them putting out less books. Like, and, if, and I don't know, disagree. Yeah, I don't like disagree. If, with that. if I think Marvel needs to put out a tighter line of comics, and like this is a thing that like we saw DC do. You know, like back in 2014, like DC was getting their fucking lunch eaten by Marvel, and Marvel was putting out like almost 50 books. It was like 40 something, and it was like DC's shit was sloppy. It wasn't resonating with people, and like they did rebirth like they took some time and they like really got their house in order they have a tighter line now with better talent and more diverse offerings that aren't just we're putting out 40 superhero books you know it's like they have a tight superhero line they're trying to iterate by doing like the i forget the name of it but that that like the, the young weird animal title well not even that but like the batman anthology that they're doing like they're doing the hanna barbera stuff they Mm -hmm. are doing young animal they're trying to give people more offerings that are like hey if you don't want to read a monthly batman book maybe you'll like this you know like maybe you'll want this maybe you'll want this um they've got vertigo which is a really healthy imprint and like marvel's like they had what icon and icon sucks like (laughs) they like marvel is not competing in a way that they need to. They're not offering enough and not because they're not putting out enough. They're putting out way too fucking much, but it doesn't speak to anybody, you know? And it's like, they put out books that like, like when, when we talked earlier about how they canceled Black Panther and the crew, it's like, who is this book even for? You know, it's like, do you really think we need three ongoing Black Panther books? Like you just got interest in one, like maybe make that one good, like, and focus on that. We don't need three books about a character who is like a fucking B-lister. And he's only a B-lister because he was in one movie. You know, it's like you got to fucking be more strategic and like not just fart stuff out. And then we all act surprised when it doesn't succeed. But like, 
You know, it's like you can't, not everything is going to sell a hundred thousand copies. Not everything is going to sell 50,000 copies. And like, you know, like you need to like set your expectations right. And I think part of that is keeping your brand managed well and not biting off more than you can chew and more than your fucking readers want to chew. I don't want to read 40 superhero books a month. It's also, it's also worth like, you know, noting that it, it, especially with like these titles, it feels like they'll just hand out an ongoing as opposed to something like Iceman, which could have been like a limited run, you know, a, a mini series or even a maxi series would have been really good for that. Or, or maybe, and it, you know, look, to be honest, maybe that book doesn't need to exist. Here's the thing. Iceman being gay is not, that's not like a hook, you know, to me. Oh, I'm gay. That's not a hook. What, what's the meat of this story? The Batwoman. I, go ahead. I mean, a, a, a gay person would disagree with you. Like, yeah, I, I, well, okay. But how many gay people are there reading comics? Like you have to make the book appeal to everyone. Batwoman by, by DC was fantastic. She's lesbian. I bought that book because the character's awesome. And I fell in love with her through the series. Um, but there was so much more meat on the bones of that series. Uh, she's, she's a, a former, she's a war veteran. Uh, you know, like she has connections to Batman. There was so much that was, that was cool about it. That's why that book was a success. What was the hook for Iceman? But that's what I'm saying. Like something like Iceman for, for that, you know, for that hook, you know, okay, Iceman's gay. Here's his story of, of coming out and sort of dealing with that. That's six issues right there. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think it's an issue of the story not needing to exist. I think it's more of like managing expectations of like, do we need an ongoing Iceman story? No, but I think there is a, an interesting story that you can do. That's like, let's tell a story about coming out. That's the meat of the story, but we'll use superheroes because that's what superheroes are best at. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's, there's totally a place for that. I think that, that can be a hook if it's done well. And by all accounts, it is, you know, Cena Grace is gay and like, you know, it's, it's been well received for how it's handled, um, homosexual issues, which is something that like, you don't really see explored in superhero comics a lot. Um, but I think like to Kale's point about like hang out, handing out ongoings left and right. Yeah. Like do all these characters need ongoings? Like, no, like probably not. Like, I think trying to have more calculated mini and maxi series that have a clear goal of like, here's the story we're telling. Here's, here's what we're doing with it. That's a better way to handle this stuff, especially because it's more bite sized. You know, like when it, when vision came out and it's like vision is an Eisner award winning superhero story. It's self contained, but it fits in the universe. If you care, that's the sweet spot, man. Like do that with Iceman, do that with whoever, like whoever you're trying to get out there. Um, something that you said, Pete. Uh, about like the way that DC sort of consolidated their stuff and like <clears throat> what Floey says, they went back to like meat and potatoes comics, right? That's what appeals to this audience. Um, but should Marvel do that if it wants to maintain that diversity offering, not in storytelling, but in representation? Because where, like, like what, what character right now in, and, and out of the DC rebirth is, not like white. The, the new Superman character is Chinese. He's from China. Oh, I forgot that guy. The Green Lanterns uh, series is they're not white. Blue Beetle. He is um, Latino. Uh, for uh, Damien is 
you know, Middle Eastern, whatever is he Middle Eastern? Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if there's a an exact. I mean, DC has several titles that offer cyborg, but that that's like like four or five out of right. Like like counting those, it was like four. It was, it was like five. Those were five compared to just the list we just compared with um, Marvel, right? So they're not offering the same kind of Batwoman diversity. Sorry, so I don't I mean, think there's yeah, like no, they just, they just came up with five, and Marvel just canceled. Yeah. Six. So, but like, I think Marco's point is that there are still a bunch left who have books even after canceling six, and okay. like that's the thing is like Marvel is making strides to do that, and like he's saying, should they go back to meat and potatoes at the cost of those things? And like, okay. I don't think it has to be at the cost of, yeah. I think you can have your cake and eat it too. But I think doing it like a, ma- like across your entire line, it was a mistake. You know, I, cause I think if you look at like for me, right? Like I stopped reading Marvel comics regularly four or five years ago. And like, I look at the Marvel universe now and in so many ways, it's like unrecognizable to me and, and, and what I was into when I was into Marvel. And I think, like, not having a jumping on point for the meat and potatoes people is a problem. And that's, like, I think what DC did really well is, like, DC is having its cake and eating it, too. Because they are doing meat and potatoes comics in their ongoing, but then they're also trying new things. Like, we, like I said, that, that Snyder Batman book, um, that's different. Like, Hanna-Barbera, that stuff's different. Um, the Young Animal stuff, that's still superhero stories, but it's different. And, like, I think you've got to find a way to be able to do both because there is a meat and potatoes audience that does want to pick up a comic every single month. And then there's other people that maybe don't, that maybe they are more interested in something that's like limited or small. And I think like you have Mr. Miracle to fit fit that, you know, you have other books that are fitting that niche for people. Marvel doesn't Marvel hasn't done anything like that since vision, at least not to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I, that's the problem to me is like Marvel's trying to give people diversity but like only through their characters in terms of in a totally literal sense of we're going to give you diverse kinds of superheroes, but that's not a diversity of story. That's not a diversity of different kinds of stories being told. You're telling me the same old tired stories with new characters that I don't have any investment in, which is not going to bring me in. And if the intent is to bring in new readers, it's obviously not working or it's not working enough. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Let us know what you think about this issue. Obviously, a lot of people have had a lot of things to say about these cancellations. And um, it's it's definitely an unfortunate way for Marvel to have to end the year. But um, I think Tom Brevoort made the accurate point of, you know, p- pointing out that uh, bigger books than these have been canceled. You know, Titans have fallen. And that's just the way it goes. And that's the way it's going to continue to go. And uh, people should, you know... Keep in mind the way the industry works and the realities of the industry before they freak out about these things. <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, hey, perfect opportunity for Marvel to have a Phoenix like rise like DC did, right? You got to take some lumps sometimes to really get back up and start swinging again. So, I don't I'm excited ap- to see. I don't appreciate that subtle callback to the Phoenix Uprising story. You need to <laughs> cram it up your. So, uh, we are on iTunes where you can leave us a rating, preferably a five star one. Um, we're also on SoundCloud and a variety of other podcast hosting platforms. We are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com where we will take uh, your random questions, your buy or sells, or anything else that you might want to share with us. 
Um, and we are on YouTube where you can leave us a comment. Uh, hit that subscribe button and help us out a lot. Leave that like while you're there and share the video with your friends. Let them know that we're out here and you like what we do. Plugs, Pete. Cool. Thank you guys again for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. I hope you had a happy holiday, whatever your denomination. Um, thank you again for joining us and, uh, you know, for another, uh, uh, well, not another, a great, our first great year here. Um, if you want to get some more content from me, uh, you can follow me on social media. I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come talk to me about your favorite comics of the year, uh, or check out cute pics of my cat pepper. Uh, if you want to get some of my writing, I'm uh, still doing articles over at CBR.com. Um, I've got two articles that are still making me money about uh, Star Wars and Majin Buu. So you can go check those out if you're a fan of either DBZ or Star Wars. Uh, or if you just want to help me pay the rent and give them a click, that would be much uh, much obliged. And then uh, as for the stuff I'm doing here at the Pals Network, uh, you can catch me and Sean tomorrow on uh, the video game Pals. Um, that's actually, I think, going to be our last episode of the year, maybe, because of the way the calendar works out. But uh, And then me, I'm on uh, our Let's Play show Monday through Friday, uh, Pals Play over on YouTube. And then um, we had uh, the final episode of the Riverdale Review before its break um, this past week. So you can go check that out if you're a fan of Riverdale. Cool. You can find my stuff at uh, comicsology.com slash panels publishing. Uh, we also have uh, a little-known... Um, selfie store where you can get uh, digital copies of the rest of our uh, line at selfie.com slash panels publishing um, you can find me on twitter and instagram at toto in that's t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w phil yo go read dark knight metals number four that shit was really good and um, there's a lot to say about it it was it was it was actually spectacular um it was one of the best single issues I've read this year. So you need to go check that out to your listeners. And if you want to talk about it with me, uh, just follow me at uh, C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P-S-I-B-O-R-B-E-B-O-P. Marco? Uh, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I started Alex plus Ada from a recommendation from the pals and it has been awesome. Thank you, pals, for this end of the year read. It's solid. You guys should check it out. It's really good. Cool. Uh, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter only at Sean Soapbox. Uh, let's talk about the tragedy of Jean Grey being canceled. Um, but also Rip. the amazingness of the resurrection of the one true Jean Grey uh here next week which i'm dying to read and talk about with you guys uh so that's going to do it for this episode of the comics pals with that we're the comics pals signing off take care guys we'll see you next week on peter on marco on phil and kale on sean on murphy on tyler and uh andy and to all to all a good night Woo! terrible <laughs> fucking terrible